Genesis chapter 50. If you get real sleepy, Matthew, if you just slide about four inches to your left, I won't be able to do that. There you go. <laughs> Love it. I like it. Genesis chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Let me just say, because I may not think to... Mention again, the word requite is what they use. To pay back that which is rightfully owed. So they knew that they rightfully should be dealt with in a harsh way over what they had done. He will requite us all the evil which we did unto Him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. You can imagine the emotion that that would have caused. And uh, they were lying about that about uh, their father having said that. His brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. I hope you'll take special note of that verse. If you mark things in the Scripture, that's a good thing to mark. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelled in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The sons also of Amasher, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And of course, over 400 years later, his remains would be carried out of Egypt. And uh, <laughs> Joseph so much didn't want to be a part of Egypt, he didn't want his bones to stay there. But uh, I want to show you this evening and. The title and the subject tonight is The Deep Root and Fountain of Forgiveness. 
And I'm not talking here about the forgiveness that God so graciously extends to us. Not only at the point of our salvation when we believe on Him, recognize our need of Him, and uh, recognize our condition as a lost sinner before Him, and then we seek His, seek his forgiveness and, and uh, seek Him at that time. But I'm also talking about the ongoing forgiveness and the day-by-day living when we come to our God and uh, after we have failed or trespassed or sinned in one way or another and uh, come to God and say, we need, I need to make things right. I need, to, I need to get things cleared up in my life. God's forgiveness with that. That's a wonderful subject, but that's not the message tonight. When I'm talking about the deep root and, and fountain of forgiveness, I'm talking about the capacity to forgive. And uh, I think really the only place in the Bible you could go and find a deeper capacity to forgive being shown than Joseph would be uh, in Jesus Himself. And Joseph shows very much what it's like. Reach over those two boys right there. Get them. Get them, Brooklyn. Brooklyn, get him. I get him. There you go. I don't know. It's contagious. <laughs> I, you both faded out. Oh, look, that look, God, you got that far away look, man. You were out. Dude. <laughs> yeah. the eyes went closed. They both went like this. They both went like this, and then they were both doing this. So I thought either they fell asleep or they were getting into some strange, you know, trance that I needed to break that up anyway. You guys with me now? You think so? Yeah, you go. <laughs> See Brother Brian afterwards. He'll give you lessons. <laughs> He's back there doing something strange. Which is not strange. But uh, the capacity to forgive others. Uh, and Joseph showed it. It's an amazing thing. You think how much uh, Joseph had to learn about God at a young age. I mean, at 17 years old, he goes. He has a situation that's happened with his brothers and, and all that he went through, and stays true to God. He's carried away. He's got every type of temptation hitting him. He's got a lot of time on his hands at different times. I mean, he could have become bitter and why and all this, but and he decided not to not to do that. Follow the Lord. It's amazing, actually, actually amazing thing. But look here at the passage, and uh, I thinking about this, and of course, wasn't that long ago we were reading through here, and I was looking and uh, I'm saying, okay, this is a real man. He went through these things. He had the capacity to forgive. And I, you know, I, just to be very frank about it, I looked at it and said, man, I don't, I don't know, you know. <laughs> You'd like to think that you'd do right in all these situations. I don't know. I've never been faced with something like that. And, uh, and I thought, well, where did it come from? And uh, as I was reading that little phrase, verse 19, look at it that I had your mark, I thought right there is the root of the thing. He says to his brothers, and they make up this lie, and come to him. And think about this. Think, think, think how nasty that lie would have sounded to him. First of all, they're making up something they said that their dad said before he died to try to manipulate Joseph. I mean, on a very basic visceral level, that's, that's going to hit you very wrong. But that's, that's not the whole thing of it either. Um, when, when they do this, they, they assume he's going to hate them. To me, that was instructive because, because of the way they had been. 
They could not comprehend somebody who did not operate that way. It was a complete mystery to them that Joseph did not think like they thought. They, having done these evil things and had this way of going about these things, could not grasp that they might be dealing with somebody who absolutely was not operating from a self-serving or an ulterior motive. Uh, the Bible says to the, to the impure, nothing is pure. What does that mean? It means it's because they view things through how they do things. And, and because of that, that, they always question. They can't, they can't comprehend that somebody would just be doing something because it's right to do. And so they come to him with that, and they come before him, and they, they do all this, and Joseph, he weeps over it. His response to him when he talked when they talked to him, verse 17, look at the end of it. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. He's weeping. He's he said, Oh, he was just overwhelmed that uh, they're finally getting right. They weren't getting right. I mean, after all this time, his dad had 13 years with him. Okay, follow the timeline of this. He was 17 years old when he sold into slavery. He's 30 years old when he comes into power. Jacob comes to, to Egypt and is there for 13 years before he dies. So you're talking about 26 years have happened during the time from when they sold him to this situation like this. And they are still not catching what he's about at all. Not seeing what he is at all. You remember back when they betrayed him. Behold, this dreamer cometh. Let's, let's kill him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dream. They could not grasp that God's hand was on somebody. And um, here he is, and he weeps over it. You know, I think he had to weep at their shallowness. I just think he had to weep at how hard-hearted they were. Perhaps he wept at how much damage you know, they had suffered and his dad had suffered and all that happened. They said it well when they said, He will surely requite to us all the evil which we have done. All the evil was not just selling him, as bad as that was. It was not just having murder in their heart. They took, they took 13 years of his life. They took him, you know, what they did to their dad, what they did, you know, to the whole family. There's, there was a lot involved. And how did Joseph forgive? He came down to this. And to me, this is amazingly profound. Here's what Joseph had settled in his heart. Joseph knew he wasn't God. Oh, I'll preach. Everybody knows that. Do they? Do they? He said, I'm not God. I'm not God. And basically, what he is saying is if God needs to do something, if my brothers need judgment, God can take care of that. Joseph, along the way, had learned that God's very real. And he had grown to the point where he, he didn't allow his limited perspective to limit God. Somebody put you in jail or sold you and was going to hurt you and do all this? 
think you'd come up out of that pit and they tied you up behind wherever they did and took you off as prisoner miles away from home? You think you'd go along singing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord... I don't think so. Joseph wasn't an ignorant man. He was very astute. He had a lot of intellectual capacity. He ran the entire nation of Egypt. He was the comptroller. He ran the place. He had a lot about him. Sometimes a quick mind has to be extra careful not to be overburdened with the inequities and injustices it sees. And so he learned that he wasn't God. He, he said, it's not my business. What he never got into was I'm going to make them pay. If he had, may I say to you, it would have been very easy then for these other things like Potiphar's wife and that situations. Amen. It's raining. Right? There you go. And uh, the, the situations like that to have failed during them and to have sinned according to the flesh because he would have already been in the wrong place as far as his flesh goes. But he did not try to avenge himself. Now, it's interesting what he says to him. And I'm going to develop this a little bit more, but look in verse 20. He says, But as for you, you thought evil against me. He didn't whitewash it. He didn't say, Oh, that's okay, you didn't mean it. Do you understand? He wasn't dealing in weird fantasy land. A forgiveness such as it might be called that's only extended because you enter this weird fantasy world acting like someone hasn't actually wronged you. Oh, it's okay, it didn't really happen. It's okay, it doesn't really bother me. That kind of thing's not real. That's why it can't be real forgiveness. That's why nothing good can happen with it. You know, well, that's okay, it didn't bother me, but yet you're seething inside. That's not honest. He told him, he said, you meant it for evil. Hey, no, no question. No sugarcoating it. Yes. You meant to hurt me. Then what's the next statement that he says there? You meant it for evil. What's the very next phrase there? But God. He said, He said, God had a different purpose in what He was going to do. And you go back to what the fountain of forgiveness is, us extending forgiveness, the capacity to forgive. You talk about the root of forgiveness. Here it is. He said, I'm not God. That's two things. He said, one, I, it's not my job to exact vengeance. He said, that's not mine at all. He said, also, I don't get to see the whole picture. And God, I believe God was bringing about good even though I don't understand all the tools that were being used to accomplish that. Let me draw your attention to another thing here with it. Look, I love this in verse 20. Look at two little phrases there. I have these, I have these two, little phrase, uh, two little phrases in verse 20. Look at it. But as for you, ye thought. See that? Look down under it. But God meant. I just put that little phrase down. You thought. But God meant. There's a lot of strength in that. Here's what you thought you were doing. Here's what you thought you were going to do. But God meant something different. 
Help us to live in the God-meant part of life. Now, I'll tell you how he got to see what God meant is because he stayed close to God when he did not know everything that was going on, but he did not judge the character of God. He said, God is God. I don't understand the depth of a statement that like Brother Job made when he said, though he slay me, listen to the way it's phrased, yet will I trust in him. I don't understand all the depth of that. But I do know that it's a point where it's, you thought that God meant. Someone may think to do you wrong. You say, well, they're trying to hurt me. They may be. God deliver us from the psychological fluff that, that tries to say, like I've been mentioning to you, that we have to somehow think that, oh, they didn't really mean it. Yeah, some of them did. Sometimes when somebody's messing with you, they mean to hurt you. They want to damage you. They're looking to destroy you. They're looking to cause you pain. They think evil about you. They'd be happy if you're hurting. You've got to come to grips with our people who think about things in a very evil way, but that does not take away who God is. You thought... But God meant. And really, whatever somebody else may think, as long as in my life, as long as in your life, we'll follow God and do what we should, then what God meant can come to pass in our lives. Now, I promise you, the overall purpose of God will come to pass. But I don't know about you all, I want to be a part of that. I learned a very important lesson over there in the book of Esther. And, uh, of course, when uh, Mordecai came to her, and she was very hesitant about going in before King Ahasuerus there, and uh, was you know she could be killed for it. She she didn't just say, "Okay, I'll go do that." He told her, "Man, he didn't mince any words." He said, "God's going to deliver His people." His words. Don't think that you shall escape because you're in the palace. You were your father's house. He said, "I want you to understand something." God's going to deliver His people. And you have an opportunity to be a part of that. And if you do nothing right now, His words, God will rise up deliverance from another place. He said, God will find somebody who will accomplish His purpose. And you're not going to be safe here in the palace because you're the queen. And He said, who knows if you came to the kingdom for such a time as this. He's saying, listen, you better pay attention. God may be wanting you to for a specific thing He's wanting to do in your life and you just need to obey the Lord and do what He wants you to do. And, and what she do? They pray and fast for three days. She gets all the Jews in the palace to pray and fast. And then she comes out and then she makes a great statement. And it was a great statement. I think even stronger because it was so thought through. It wasn't a spontaneous thing. But she said, I'll go if I perish, I perish. She says, okay, I'm going to do this. See, you thought what God meant. Can you imagine He's looking at His brothers? You thought evil. That's what you wanted to do. But God meant it. <laughs> Here's the wild thing about it. They become the benefactors of that goodness. In other words, their lives were spared. They were going to starve to death. Now they are in the best of the land and they're cared for. Amazing. Absolutely amazing the things that happen there with that. What's the fountain of forgiveness? Well, Joseph knew he wasn't God. And he knew God had some purposes and what he was going to do. Um, pretty amazing thing with it. Uh, look, if you will, look further one other thing here with this. When Joseph was saying, I am not God, I'm, am I in the place of God? No, that, that's not me. And then he says to him, 
you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. Look at Romans chapter 12. Don't lose your place in Exodus, but go to Romans 12. You understand, Romans 12 was not penned yet by a long way. But this Scripture and the truth embodied in the Scripture of Romans chapter 12, this vital teaching for us today, Joseph was living the teaching of it. Why? Because he knew the God who would give this teaching. Look, look at Romans 12 and think about what Joseph had went through and think about the situation we're reading about right there together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies... What type of a sacrifice? Interesting. When Joseph went to Potiphar's house, what does the Bible tell us about his interaction there? He served him. Boy, I wish I had time to explain to you everything. Potiphar actually enters the, enters the picture with Joseph again. Uh, because, uh, you, anyway, I, I get into it. I'll get too, too tangled if I can't explain completely. But he does when he's in prison. Potiphar enters, his name's not given, but he enters the picture again during part of that when you go through and read it. But what happens is, Joseph then goes to prison, to the house of the prison, and he serves there. So, he served his father. He served Potiphar. He serves in the, in the jail. And he serves Pharaoh. Joseph, when he was confronted with the uh, wicked and forward, would be the classic strange woman, Proverbs talks about, Potiphar's wife, he, he doesn't yield to her. He does all these things the right way. How'd he do it? He presented his body to God, a living sacrifice. Joseph, in his living, constantly gave himself to be used of God wherever he was. He literally took himself on a, on a regular daily basis and said, God, here, use me. And he kept before the Lord that way. Look at in verse 12, or chapter 12 again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, even if you're in the situations Joseph was in. And be not conformed to this world. What one nation in the Bible is more a picture of the world than any other nation? It's constantly shown us Egypt. Joseph never became an Egyptian. He, so much so, he, say, he says, I'm dying. Make sure you don't leave me here when you leave. Get me out of here. And uh, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see this thing? Joseph says, I'm not God. Look, he lived Romans 12. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, 
So we being many are one body in Christ. And everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait upon our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on uh, exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with what? Did we read that? I will nourish you and your little ones. I will comfort you. That's how Joseph spoke to his brothers. Let love be without dissimulation. Dissimulation is a false front that does not mean what it says. It's a double dealing type thing. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Just think of Joseph in these verses. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Look at it. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense. To no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay saith the Lord. Do you get upset if someone just came along and takes something that's yours? Do you ever have something in your hand and somebody just come up and grab it? Does anybody hear that's an instant that's not going to go well? Right? Look at the verse. Think of that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. When we try to exact vengeance, we just grab something out of His hand. The real root of forgiveness, the real root of forgiveness is that we're not God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. Huh. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You want to see how it all comes together? Look at the last verse there. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil. With what, church? Pretty good. Back to Genesis 50. So, what is the deep root and fountain of forgiveness? It's the fact that Joseph knew he wasn't God. Now, preacher, we're not God. But do we know that? 
Sometimes I wonder if we know that just then, do we allow room to let the Holy Spirit deal in people's lives or do we try to force them into something? But certainly here in this matter of forgiveness, it's, it's, it's a very telling question and thought. Then look at verse 21. <laughs> now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And what did Joseph do to these brothers who had tried to hurt him? He comforted them. He comforted them and spake kindly unto them. That word comforted I have circled and then look back in chapter uh, 42 of Genesis. You want to see a contrast here. We just read in Romans about recompense no man evil for evil. Here his brothers are starting to face the reality of the fact that their sin against their brother has consequences. It seems from what you read here that when they were faced with adversity, the first thing that leaped to their mind was how they treated Joseph. They carried that. But look at their own testimony about that point in time referring back to when they had betrayed Him. Verse 21 of chapter 42. It says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. In that, look at the word that's used, we saw the anguish of his soul. Anguish is a deep-rooted pain that you almost can't bear. It's a terrible, hurting, twisting pain inside. That's what he was like in that pit. Not only the fear of what they were going to do to him, but the helplessness and all that went on. They saw it. It says, We saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Where, therefore is this distress come upon us. They said, We saw him like that. You remember what they did, don't you? They sat down and ate lunch. That's pretty cold. <laughs> what was his response? He comforted them. Why? Because somewhere along the way, Joseph found out he wasn't God. If Joseph tried to play God, then Joseph couldn't know all that God wanted to do in and through him. God's position is too big for us. God's position is too weighty for us. Reaching over into what is not ours will destroy us. We are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. Those six words are our responsibility. And He shall direct thy paths. Those six words are His promise of what He'll do. But we sure do spend a lot of time trying to direct our own paths and reaching over to where He is instead of just realizing we're not God. Then look in verse 21 again back there in chapter 50. Two parts of it. It says He comforted them at the end there and spake kindly unto them. Turn back to Genesis 37. So we saw in Genesis 42 how they saw the anguish of his soul and, and just totally ignored it. They, they said they wouldn't hear this. They just didn't listen to it. Genesis 37 it said over there in Genesis 50 that He spake kindly to them. He's giving them comforting words. 
Genesis 37 recounts of what it was like around the household there when Joseph was at home with his brothers. Verse 4 of Genesis 37, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Anytime they passed him, anytime they walked near him, anytime they saw him out in the field, they probably were either silent or had some sharp word to say or some snide thing to say. If Joseph spoke to them in a way that would have been respectful or, or just proper, he probably got something thrown back in his face every time he said it. That's how, that's how they treated him. They couldn't speak peaceably into him. They just constant. That was constantly there. Now here they are, and he has all the power given to him. And he says, I'm not God. They come to him with this lie and said, Dad said to do this. And he starts weeping. He says, I'm not God. He says, you meant it for evil. I'm not God. God meant it for good. You thought evil. You thought you, thought you were going to destroy God's dreams. You thought you were going to shut down what God was doing. But God's in charge of this. And he said, now come here. I'll help you. Why? Because I'm not God. And by the way, if we want to be Godlike, I don't mean that in a, uh, I don't mean that in a uh, uh, idolatrous sort of way. If we want to be godlike, or let's use the word godly, then let's seek to manifest the mercy of God and live in a way that makes us resemble our heavenly Father. That's what he did. And he's comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And I love it. He lives to be 110 years old, and there's just something in this next little passage I think is neat. Look in verse 23. I'm back in chapter 50. <laughs> and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Meshur, the son of Manasseh. I like this little phrase. Were brought up. Look at the phrase upon Joseph's knees. You've got a papaw playing with his grandkids. Guy who runs Egypt. I wonder if he was kind of an indulgent papaw. Was like a pyramid for you know. The Sphinx. I'll get you something. Um, but there's a uh, there's a joyfulness. He brought him up upon their knees, upon his knees. He had been through all that he went through. He didn't become a hardened old man who couldn't love anything. He was enjoying. You say, how did he do that? Somewhere he learned that he wasn't God. That's what I was sent to tell you tonight. Let's pray. Lord, help us to learn this. Help us to learn it, please. Stand together, won't you come tonight? Do you dare to make yourself vulnerable before God? long will you cling to that? You're going to make them pay. You're going to make them understand. 
No, you're going to destroy yourself. A song of invitation, why don't you join those who've come? God would like to take the plow of His Word and dig out some root of bitterness tonight.